0: This is another message brought to you by the Remodel Church. Hey, last week we went over 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to hit 2 Samuel chapter 6 again. But before we get into David's life, I want you to go with me to John chapter 4. I'm going to read this story. John chapter 4. If you'll find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 4. A little bit of context. What is going on here is Jesus is traveling from one place to, the other, to another. And uh, he says it is necessary for him to stop in Samaria. Well, at that time... Um, Jewish people and Samaritans did not get along at all. They didn't speak to each other. They didn't look at each other. They didn't socialize. They didn't go to the same parties. They didn't sit at the same table. They hated each other. But for one reason or another, Jesus says, it is necessary for me to go through Samaria. So they come to this well, um, the well that uh, Jacob had dug out. Jacob is one of the great, they call him great fathers of the faith in the Bible. And uh, anyway, so uh, Jesus stays here. His disciples go off to town to buy some food. When this woman comes up to draw water out of the well, Jesus, the Bible says, was tired. He was thirsty and asked the woman, hey, why don't you get me something to drink? And she says, how dare you? Speak to me. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How dare you speak to me, and much less ask me to do something for you? Jesus responds with, "Woman, if you knew who was asking you to give you a who was asking you to give them a drink of water, he says, then you would ask him to give you water, and he would give you water from the living well, and you would thirst no more." She responds with a little bit of sarcasm, like. You're going to give me water? You don't even have a bucket to draw out of the well. What are you talking about? So Jesus goes on to say, well, why don't you just call your husband for me? She says, oh, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You've been divorced five times, and the guy that you're with now is not your husband. She's like, whoa, this dude just read my cards. And she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. You sound like you're a prophet of some sort. And then she asked a question. And this is where I want to pick, pick it up. John chapter 4. We're we'll starting in verse 20. Or we'll start in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Then she asked a question. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, "Woman, I believe, or excuse me, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, verse 23, but the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking uh, such to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So this whole conversation happens, and she begins to believe once Jesus reads her cards and tells her exactly who she is, she begins to believe that he's a prophet, doesn't understand that she's actually speaking to the Son of God, and then she asks the question, where should we worship? We we think that you ought to worship here, and you guys think that we ought to worship here, and... That question is probably still being asked today. Maybe not necessarily where should you worship, but how should you worship? We believe you should worship this way. Others believe you should worship this way. Right? It's a big debate going, on, going along the United States, especially here in the southern states. We're going to talk about worship today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much this morning for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, because we know that you're speaking into our lives. Help us to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But God, more than anything, help us to live your word out. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says amen. amen. So Jesus says that the Father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, and we must worship, her, worship him Excuse me, in spirit and in truth. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, we're looking at the exact same story, exact same scenario that we did last week. Remember, David and his men are trying to bring the ark. And the first time he does everything the wrong way, the first time it's all about himself. It's all about a political statement. He doesn't carry it the right way. He's got just regular people carrying it. And a man dies and David gets ticked off, leaves it, leaves it there in that place. That city begins to get blessings for about three months. And so David decides, I want these blessings. And he does some research. He figures out, oh, only the priest is supposed to carry it. We're not supposed to put it on ox. The priests are supposed to carry on their shoulders. And so David then brings it in, giving sacrifices, giving, doing worship, and a great story. And today I want to focus, while last week we talked about carrying God's glory and doing things God's way, today we're going to focus on the worship part. You see, we're all worshiping someone or something. We all adore, we all give to, we all sacrifice to, maybe not you know, heifers and stuff like that, but, but we all worship, we all adore, we all sacrifice for or to something or someone. For some of us, for some of us, it may be a job. For others, it may be a, a lifestyle that we're chasing. For some, it may even be your kids. You give everything up for your kids and your kids are first in everything and every part of your life. While your kids should be very, very important, your kids were not made to be number one. Your kids were not made to be worshipped. Only God can handle that type of pressure. Only God can stand up to that. You guys with me? This is why sometimes... man. That, okay, I'm just going to say this. It's no secret, man. I'm, I'm so, so not for dating whenever you're like in preschool or even grade school or high school. And this is a problem. This is part of the problem is is kids fall in love and they begin to worship that relationship and everything is all about that relationship. And when that relationship fails or that person in that relationship fails them, what happens? Don't tear my heart, my achy, breaky heart. That's what happens. Brokenheartedness and crying and, and bitterness and all kinds of stuff that you don't need to be going through at the age of ten. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you guys get my you guys get my drift. So we're all worshiping, we're all giving to, sacrificing to, or for someone or something. In Luke chapter 4, verse 6 and 8, um, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I shared with you guys about a month ago, maybe two months ago, my story on fasting. I tried to go three days. Didn't make it. I didn't even make it the first 24 hours. I'll just be honest. My son had, I I was, my goal was three days. My my son had left a half-eaten Pop-Tart on the counter, and boy, the devil sat in, and he got me. He didn't only get me with that Pop-Tart. He got me with four peanut butter and jelly sandwiches right after that, too. It was bad. It was bad. But I made the next 48 hours, so I did all right, I guess. But uh, Jesus just went 40 days and 40 nights fasting. No eating at all. And the devil presents himself, and and he begins to tempt him. He begins to tempt Jesus. And one of the things that he tempts tempts him with is in Luke chapter 4, verse 6 and 8. The devil says, listen, all of this is mine. Everything is mine. This whole world is mine. And you can have it back if you'll just worship me. Now, let's understand the depth of this. Jesus' Jesus' whole purpose to come to this earth was to win us back. We agree with that? The reason Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and, and raised here and lived his entire life here on earth was not just to prove a point, but it was to win us back. It was to be the ultimate sacrifice, to carry that cross. From day one, Jesus knew my life will end with me on a cross. That's pretty harsh. And what Satan is doing right here for Jesus is he's saying, listen, you don't have to do any of that. And if we read our Bibles just a little bit, we understand Jesus didn't want to do that. Remember, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked God, he asked him, God, if there is any other way, Father, please remove this burden from me. I don't want to carry the cross. If you can figure out another way, let's do that. Then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus isn't excited about the cross. He isn't excited about being beaten. He's not excited about taking the cross and, and taking the beating and, and sacrificing his life, pouring out all of his blood. He's not excited about that at all. And the devil tempts him in that area. And he says, listen, if you'll just bow down and worship me just for a little bit, dude, nobody else is going to see. But just for a little bit, for a moment, I'll give everything back to you. You don't have to carry the cross. You don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to be abused and and, uh, mocked and, and, and humiliated in front of everybody. If you'll just worship me just for a little bit, then I'll give you everything back. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. You see, some of us get worship wrong, and we don't understand worship in church And in a church setting, because we're worshiping the wrong things. You see, so worship is our response to God. That's what worship is. Worship is our response to God. For his love, for his protection, for salvation, for mercy, for forgiveness, for his blessings, for his grace, for whatever you need to respond to in that moment. Worship is our response to God. And where so many of us get it confused is we think that worship is all about us. And if it's a good worship service, it was because God did something in us. me, in us. right? Yeah. <laughs> Most of the times, when we walk out of a church service and we say, "Man, that was good, it's because God did something to us. and that 's where we got it confused. Worship is not about God doing something for us or in us at that moment. Worship is about our response to God. Worship is saying, God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace, your love provision. All of these things, it's not about God doing something in me at that moment. Worship is my response to God. And so we have to understand this because some of us or so many of us will come and sit in a church service and we'll sit here the entire time. And because we never got the goosebumps and because something in our bellies didn't turn around, we think it was just a, eh, how was service today? It was was all right. You guys with me? When it's not about that, it's about our response to God. God. That's what worship is. That's where worship comes out of and flows through. Man, I just want you to highlight Psalms chapter 29 verse verse 2 to just, um, you know, in your notes to write it or to read it later. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13, we see that that David, the second time when he's uh, uh, taking the, the ark back to Israel, back to his city, and he's excited about it and all of this good stuff, we see that he begins to take, gives sacrifices. So many paces, he would give a sacrifice, and he was worshiping. And you gotta imagine the preparation that that took. You see, a reason why so many of us never feel anything when we're in a church service is not because the church service wasn't so good. Now, listen, I get it. I don't, I don't always hit it out of the ballpark. I, I get that. I don't always, um, you know, preach a great sermon. And, 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 and I get all of that. But I'm, I'm just going to be real honest, man. God doesn't need me to move in you. Amen. He doesn't. He It's not anything that I can say. It's not anything that the band can do. God doesn't need any of us to move in anybody. And the problem, the reason why we don't feel God so many times isn't, again, not because God isn't here. It's not because um, the spirit of God isn't here or something like that. But it's simply because we didn't prepare for it. So David is going through and he's giving sacrifices and he's worshiping God. And imagine the preparation that it took. He didn't just get there and decide, oh, you know what? We ought to do this sacrifice. But he took time ahead to prepare for the sacrifices. And whenever we worship God and and if we want to come into a church setting like this morning and we want to feel God, we can't just show up and then just expect God to move. We have to take some time. We have to prepare for it. You see, sometimes, sometimes some of you are the hardest people to preach to, man. The hardest people. I I, I told you, I was back, I was in Chiapas in in May, in, uh, in Mexico. And I preached to the hardest group of people I have ever preached to in my life. I mean, you talk about silence. Nobody said a thing. And I'm just the whole time in my mind, I'm just like, EJ, you suck that bad. Like they're not even they don't even care, bro. So I'm just like I'm sweating bullets. I mean, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, we can't do this to people. This is terrible. I really I really I honestly felt like I preach the worst sermon that I have ever preached in my entire life. And I get that, or the, the only saving grace was Juan warned me. Juan Berrios, he warned me. He said, man, now these guys are going to be tough. He said, they don't respond very much. Golly, i tell you what, that was tough. And, then, and there's sometimes, man, I can see it on you guys' face. You guys are still half asleep. We're still, we're still thinking about what we should be doing instead of being here. You guys with me? You see? you see, that's what I'm talking about. It's exactly what I'm talking about. And we sit through a service half asleep. Our minds never hear. And somehow we expected God to move. Somehow we expected the band to get our attention. And eh, the band just was all right today. They didn't, you know, They didn't play that song that I like. I didn't get it. Wander in the wild. What does that even mean? You guys with me? Man, if we want to feel God and if we really want to worship God, we're going to have to take some time and prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. We can't be sitting in here and expecting God to move whenever our mind is somewhere else. That's so why the Bible says, it's very interesting, it's not in your notes, it actually just, just, just now came to my mind. But the Bible says that if you're in a church service, Jesus actually said that. And while you're worshiping God, you remember that you have sinned against someone or you're basically, you've got a dispute with someone. He says, go and ask for forgiveness, then come back and bring your offering. Right. Prepare your hearts, prepare your minds. Worship takes preparation, and it takes sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I want you guys to go. Leave something here in 2 Samuel 6. I want you guys to go with me there. Just because it's a great scripture to highlight in your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, to which is your reasonable service. Most Bibles here probably say reasonable worship. I've got the New Kings James Version. Your reasonable worship to present your lives, your bodies as a holy sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable service or worship to God. That is what worship is. Worship is not limited to a drum set or vocals and guitar or piano or any of that. Worship is so far beyond lyrics. Worship is what you do with your life every single day. <clears throat> so, worship requires preparation and it requires sacrifice thing is very interesting the, the the first time that we see David trying to t- take the ark of covenant back to his hometown what he's doing remember he's dressed in a robe and he's trying to make a big political statement cuz he's he's a new king and he wants everybody to see that not only does he have all the authority as king but also God is with him and so it's a huge political statement he's wearing his big robe probably got his jewels and his crown on and everything goes wrong and then the second time When he's doing everything the right way, he's wearing what the Bible calls an ephod, which is pretty much a uh, a prayer garment, the garment that he would wear while he was praying. That's what he's wearing. And we go on uh, later on in the story. We see that as one of his wives, Michael, um, um, accuses him and is angry at him. Because he wasn't wearing his robe because she says, how worthy did the king look today? And how great, how glorious did he look today? Um, uncovering himself and all this kind of stuff. And here's, here's the point here that, I'm, that I want to make with all of that. There's absolutely nothing worth holding on to if it separates you from God. You guys with me? So again, we'll be in a church service and we'll be wanting, we say we want to feel God, but we're holding on to a grudge. We're holding on to unforgiveness. We're holding on to bitterness. We're holding on to, I don't know, whatever, whatever it may be, some habit, some sin. We're holding on to something. We're saying, God, I want to feel you, but I want to hold on to this right here. You guys with me? Now, if you were in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of of a lake and somebody tossed you a big golden bar and said, here you go, bro, this is yours. But as you're holding on to it, what are you doing? You're sinking. Now, how ridiculous would it be for us to just hold on to that thing and just go sinking down to the bottom and die? Would you say that would be worth it? Would it be worth it to have that big golden slab? If you're dead, what good does it do you? Right? But that's how so many of us look when it comes to worship. Because we're saying, God, we want you, but we want this. And we're willing to give up feeling God or having an encounter with God as long as we have this. How ridiculous do we look? How ridiculous do we sound? There's absolutely nothing worth holding on to if it separates us from God. You guys with me? There's no grudge, no bitterness, no unforgiveness, no no habit, no matter how great you think it makes you feel and all of those things. There's nothing worth holding on to if it separates you from God. There's nothing worth having If it separates you from God. And so many of us, man, we're sinking to the bottom of that lake. But we're rich. There's absolutely nothing worth holding on to. If it means that it separates you from God. Let's read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. We'll start in, the, in, in about halfway through verse 20. How glorious, and this is David's wife, Michael. How glorious was the king of Israel today uncovering himself. Today in the eyes of the maids of his servants. As one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. Man, I didn't put this in your notes, but just in your notes, write an arrow from verse 21 there in your notes and just put worship is personal. Worship is personal. Just put that down in your notes. Nobody can worship God for you. I mean, this is very, very personal. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. Verse 22, And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. To worship God, it takes humility. Again, to worship God, it takes humility. I think pride, especially here in South Polk County, is one of the things that separates so many of us from God. It's so hard for us to admit that we're wrong. It's so hard for us to to admit that we need help. It's hard for us to admit that God is greater. It's hard for us to surrender. And so pride becomes a big divider between us and God. You guys with me? So to worship God, it takes humility. Humility. To truly worship God, you have to understand that He is actually smarter than you are. Imagine that. God actually knows things that I don't know. Imagine that. To worship God, it means that we have to surrender to Him. So many of us, man, we keep making the same dumb mistake Not necessarily because we believe in it, but because we've invested so much in it that we just feel like we got to see it through. You know what I'm saying? See, to worship God, it's going to take some humility. We're going to have to say, I understand that God is bigger, that God knows things that I don't know, understands things that I don't understand, and I'm going to surrender to God. God is greater than he is sovereign. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do things His way and not my way. To worship God, it takes humility. 2 Chronicles, chapter seven, verse fourteen. Let's go there. If you're in Second Samuel, just go to the right. You're running the first, second Kings, then you'll hit First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Chapter 7, verse 14. We'll start in verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of of sacrifice. Verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people, verse 14, highlight this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What I want you to know closing thoughts, is that God responds to worship. God responds to worship. And whenever we come here, or at our homes, or wherever we are, and we just worship, we just begin to respond to God's goodness, and His grace, and His love, and His mercy. When we begin to respond to God, God responds to us. The Bible says that if we will draw near to Him, he will draw near to us. And what some of us need to do is we need to stop uh, se- stop filling ourselves with self-pity. We need to stop worrying about how great and how bad our problem or our situation is. We need to stop uh, being frustrated at how wrong everything is going. And we just need to take some time to worship. We need to stop blaming everyone else for our situations, blaming everyone else for the problems that we're going through. And we need to take some time and we just need to worship and believe that if I will worship God, if I will draw myself near to him, he is going to draw near to me, if I will worship God, He is going to respond to me. I don't understand how to pray about this situation. I don't understand why this, why this situation is happening the way it is. I don't understand the position that I'm in, but I know that if I will just pray to God, He is going to respond to me. If I'll just worship God, He's going to respond to me. So again, let's stop pointing fingers and let's stop trying to place blame and let's stop stop trying to figure things out on our own. And if we would just worship God, he will respond to us. This is the end of the message. For more information, please visit TheRemodelChurch.com.